The following episode was recorded before the tragic deaths of cartoonist Ian McGinty. Ian was the creator of the comic series Welcome to Showside and Glint, and he did art for tons of series like Adventure Shine, Bee and Puppycat, and later Zim and Rick and Morty comics. He was only 38, and he was beloved in the community as a kind human being and known as someone who had a workload that would break the back of the Titan Atlas. His death June 8th set off a conversation online about how brutal the working conditions in the comics industry are, for artists in particular, but really for anyone working in it. Go check out the hashtag ComicsBrokeMe for some important stories that must be heard. It's going to take collective action to change the broken comics industry, which exploits the people who make the work we love. It's always taken collective action to change any industry at all. As these conversations grew online, once more I saw people talking about the power of collective organizing, like forming a union as a real solution. People would post about how there should be a comics union and get a lot of agreement, and then you'd see the thread shift into fretting that that organizing would be illegal because, quote, comics are freelance, quote. Look, forming a union used to be illegal. Just forming a union used to be illegal. But we have unions now anyway. And now we have the most worker-friendly National Labor Relations Board of any of our lifetimes, But debates over what's legal and isn't, this is all putting the cart before the horse. Focus on building a network of solidarity. That is groundwork that makes anything else possible. And there's no law against that. I'm so glad to share an interview with a member of the new membership-led organization for cartoonists, the Cartoonist Cooperative. You'll learn all about them in a moment. But I wanted to begin with recognizing Ian McGinty's life and encourage you to read some of his work and some of the stories about his life. This is Graphic Policy Radio, and this is a comics podcast. This is your host, Ilana Levin, and this is the comics podcast for fans who know that artists are workers and that all workers need a union or a worker-led cooperative for pulling together their power and forging solidarity between creators. In fact, a new cartoonist cooperative is in the works. I was so excited to hear about it. And joining me on the show today is someone who has been really instrumental in pulling this work together. Joining me for the first time is Joan Zara Dark. Joan is a writer, organizer, and interdisciplinary artist. They love talking about queer comics, stories that can only be told through interactive mediums, worker cooperatives, and gay robots. They are based in Queens. Welcome to the show. Alana, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. I met you through FlameCon after party kind of situation, and I was thinking at some mm-hmm. point, I'd have you on the show. <laughs> apparently oh wow that feels like so long ago now it was thousands of years ago yes in fact but what's funny is um i was going to karaoke with a whole crew of people from FlameCon, including steens the cartoonist who does the heart of the city strip and steens was doing cartoons of everybody and steens and i hadn't met so there's a cartoon that steens drew of me and it's a picture of me, but the caption is next to Joan, 
because I <laughs> apparently we're sitting next to each other. Steens then apologized to me for labeling me as next to Joe. And I'm like, no, no, this is not, I, it's okay. We hadn't met before. It's okay to not know my, when we literally hadn't met before. And this is hilarious. So. It's, it's on a, Truly wonderful. I remember, I think the first time I found your work, I think also was at a flame con. We hadn't, <laughs> we hadn't met yet, but you did a great panel. I remember seeing on fan activism, I believe. Yes. Um, yes. We've been known to do such things. <laughs> as you want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember seeing you moderate that panel with... I think Jackson Bird was on there. If I'm oh, a long time correctly. ago. Yeah, yeah that would have been amazing. that would have been a few flame cons ago at least. Yeah, quite thousands of years. It's amazing how time flies. For folks who have not heard about the Cartoonist Cooperative yet, the Cartoonist Cooperative is a community of comics makers fighting to make our creative practice more sustainable and successful through a curated comics catalog, the mutual marketing efforts of each other's work and the continued development of each each other's comics practice and career, among other strategies. They want to make comics better for everyone. So from the FAQ, what are the Cartoonist Cooperative's future goals? To set an industry standard for livable pay rates for all freelancers working in comics, establish equitable industry standard contracts, and challenge unfair business practices. Establish a grievance assistance team that helps members settle disputes with publishers and clients and award grants to fund cartoonists and their comics projects. And it officially launched February 25th, 2023. What I love is that this is a combination of things that folks can do immediately just by building their own community as well as goals that are also things that you guys are able to do as a member-led cooperative. It's very concrete. They're really well-set goals. And folks can go to cartoonist.coop to learn more. I, I love that URL because .coop as a website, is like domain, me- <laughs> mega domain. Oh, I forget the word for it. But yeah, you, you got it. Very cool. We know what we mean. We know what mm-hmm. we mean. Of course. Yeah, and I think I feel like I first heard about this is people were talking about it as things are sort of gearing up for the for the TV writers' strike. And so there were a lot of people asking questions about what this might mean for comics writers and comics artists, you know, mm-hmm. and people were pointing out how a lot of comics writers also write for television, but that, no, the, you know, comics writing is not under a collective bargaining agreement with the Motion Picture Producers of America Association or mm-hmm. anyone else. And I think that was, people were smart to then pivot that conversation to say, but actually there is an organization <laughs> that you should talk to, which is a cooperative. Did, have, have you seen an increased interest in the cartoonist cooperative as part of the conversation around the writer's strike? Yeah, yeah, that that's very good to hear about folks getting pointed our way for sure. I think the writer's strike has definitely increased the profile of the of the cartoonist cooperative for sure since people are rightfully looking for that kind of solidarity in the comic sphere, right? As I'm sure we'll talk about there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of reasons why it's a lot more complicated to kind of form that kind of organization right you know the 
WGA and, you know, IAT, SE in general, you know, have like a good hundred years in some cases ahead of Mm -hmm. us. So in terms of like groundwork. So I think there's a lot of people really trying to do that work and certainly have tried in the past to do that work as well. And we're just starting to see really that all come together. Well, it's interesting, especially because, you know, I I used to work for the Writers Guild East, so I've definitely had comics folks come to me to sort of get my thoughts and pick my brain about things. And, uh, you know, there's something interesting is that the, the cooperative members that I'm looking at when I'm looking at your site, they're all people who are making their own creative work. Like you mm-hmm. guys are artists making your own work. It looks like it's mostly self-published. Is that accurate? Definitely not exclusively, but I think just by virtue of the the folks that have joined up so far, I mm-hmm. think we've we've definitely been we've definitely been pushing part of the cooperatives like current goals, things that we're working on is like, you know, marketing people's self published comics, right? To basically mm-hmm. give the the force of all, all the members at, you know as instead of having to go through a publisher and having to do that work otherwise, you know, being able Mm -hmm. to, and, you know, doing the work that sometimes a publisher doesn't even do. No, they don't. They make, you guys are all stuck doing it. It's ridiculous. Exactly. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of that in in terms of folks we have so far but not exclusively mm-hmm. and i think what what you're talking about about like comics writers trying to understandably see if they can fit fit in with wga or something like that it's really difficult the way that comics ex- is structured right now at least the way in terms mm-hmm. of deal with it with publishing and everything where cartoonists anyone who's working in comics is essentially treated like a freelancer right yeah you've got folks who are working off 1099s they're independent contractors and because of that you know not only are they not entitled to benefits and you know all the other things that publishing employees would otherwise be entitled to they're also not allowed to organize according to national labor law right because they're well it's complicated i mean yeah i don't want to part of me is like is like there's like three different categories of people there's actual independent creators which seems like the bulk of the people who are in the collaborative who are artists making their own work putting it out themselves and there isn't an employer because they're there is no employer they're making them they sell it they make it like they're themselves Mm -hmm. then there's the people who are effectively working for a company who does not treat them like an employee and frankly right. it's mis- worker misclassification and mm-hmm. you see that left and right it's very common and then there's also and then there's people who are truly freelance like they're making comics for a few different different places and maybe this is a small portion of one of their work is working for marvel and another portion is going for dark horse and that's where i i believe there are union solutions that make sense for folks in those situations but it is legitimately mm-hmm. more complicated but i also 100%. think on on either end, there is a pretty straightforward labor law is being broken by companies. And then mm-hmm. in your case, it was predominantly, it's people who truly are independent creators going on their own. And there, there is no employer, of course. And a cooperative is just, yes, you are pooling resources together and supporting each other. And, you know, so many people I know who make independent comics 
as well as comics for larger publishers, feel like they're doing all the promotional work and all the sales themselves anyway. So why not put it out yourself? And then you're keeping your money rather than, you know, getting a small portion of it while doing all the work, which seems like the deal you're getting from some of the indie publishers anyway, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is a whole mess in terms of, <laughs> you know, it, especially when it comes to comics that a lot of comic publishers don't necessarily want to, there is clearly a market for them. You know, if we're talking about adult comics, if we're talking about anything that isn't the predominantly popular, like YA middle grade graphic novels that are selling right now, right? Like Mm -hmm. there is a market for all sorts of different kinds of subject matter, explicit comics, just anything more adult, right? But publishers aren't marketing them and they're not put doing the work to have them reach even a fraction of an audience and yeah. then complaining that there isn't a market because they didn't do the work to promote it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's, I think, what a lot of the folks we're finding in the co-op so far are really you know, the folks who have tried and are still trying to get their work published through other means, but have found more success self-publishing because that's the way that at least they'll know that it'll work. Yeah, yeah. And then pooling with you guys, with each other so that you're not all doing like duplicative promotional work when like nobody becomes a comics creator because they like to do PR. That's just not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, is very smart as well. So I'm sorry. I just always end up jumping ahead with the union conversation and I didn't, oh, I didn't of course. Like completely go there, but um, right away, I should say, cause I do want to spend more time sort of talking about the establishment of the cooperative itself. So tell me, how did the cooperative notion come about and how, how long have folks been sort of talking about these ideas and connecting with each other about making it happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's relatively new in in terms of how long we've been getting this together. It's really only been about a few months since we've started really getting the word out. I'd say like what like late January, early February is when we started like letting people know, like, you know, opening up for member applications and getting people on board. And before then, maybe like a few months before that, one of our other, the other folks on the steering committee, Sloan Leong, who's another amazing cartoonist, writer, editor, was running this comics discord that a bunch of us were all in and just bemoaning the lack of available platforms for discovery as things kept falling apart in the way Twitter has been going, the way, you know, the shattering of comicsology, yes, um, and that for in uh, terms of just another place that digital comics suddenly can't be found, right? And there, the need for one just a central place to find a bunch of different comics and a bunch of different creators to be able to centralize a lot of that stuff, and uh, a place for cartoonists to be able to find each other and to have that kind of community because so much of the work that happens around like making sure that people know about well how do i know if i have a good contract how do i know Mm. if i'm getting a good page rate it'll happen in a twitter thread or it'll happen like someone will share a google doc you know and it's a lot of those resources aren't 
aren't centralized. They aren't, they aren't easy to keep track of. And all of these conversations, I think came together around the end of last year for us to really start to think about how we could start organizing people in comics together to, to be able to not just give all these things more weight and be able to connect more people, but also to just have a place for people to have be in solidarity with each other, you know, where if something, if something happens, if something, if for whatever reason, person or a group of people is being predatory towards folks in comics, that there's, you know, some group out there that's able to challenge that and be able to like, make sure people don't feel isolated because comics is a very isolating practice in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, I think people should, if they don't know, like, page rates, which is, you know, the rate that people get paid for drawing a page or lettering a page or coloring, etc. Like, I believe they haven't increased in, like, 30 years or something insane like that. Yeah, it's really, it's really staggering. Like, you can look at the Graphic Artist Guild, I think, has a has a handbook that kind of has some general guidelines right for like the rough estimate of what at least people in illustration should be getting paid which is usually equated for folks in comics and you know the the thing with that kind of like suggested page rate too the or one of the problems there at least is it again kind of comes back to this like freelance conversation where because there's not really a way to enforce the idea of a minimum page rate or anything equivalent to like, you know, how much artists should be getting paid, right? You have publishers who are, or, you know, anyone who's working with cartoonists where they see that suggested if there is a, if there is even a suggestion for how much they should be getting paid and see that as the bar instead of the minimum, right? They see that as like, that's what we can get away with paying mm-hmm. people because that's, you know, they, they don't want to cough up anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting though, just because I'm thinking, I poked around the site looking at some of the books that are available from members of the it's interesting. I, I guess I don't even know what to call it. It's like, it's cause it's not like an, it's not like it's a catalog. People are ordering them from the different people directly. What would you call like the section of the site that lists all the different books and stuff? We've been calling it like a catalog. It's like a, it's like a curated database essentially. Right. Mm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I've been looking around the database of comics of members that are participating in this, and there's really cool stuff that I hadn't seen in, and really interesting and like pretty big gamut as well. But when it's the self-published stuff, like issues like page rates are not really relevant. I, I really, I think the important thing to stress is that there's a huge range of folks who are members of the co-op that they're certainly are a bunch of people who are self-publishing their comics. You know, the curated, the catalog, the database that we have on the website is really only a fraction of the actual, like, members that we have in the community. 
Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's the, the database is really just like a, a curated selection of the work that we're, that, that is like being highlighted as like, these are things that the committee is really excited about and wants to show off, right? But there was a whole bunch of folks from all sorts of different skill levels. We're like, we're coming on like 400 something members now, over wow. 400 Holy members. Fuck in our in our co-op now it's been really cool right because you know the the big thing that we've tried to stress in terms of like what membership actually entails right is that because we're really more of a solidarity union than we are like you know a local you know or what or what have you you know membership doesn't cost anything we're never going to be asking for any dues or anything like that the only real requirement we're asking of people is just you know once every 6 months that's like the minimum for every me- every member to have at least one interaction of contributing to someone else's work right whether that's one of our marketing campaigns or helping someone with like comic critique like feedback or you know doing some illustration work or proofreading what have you just some kind of contribution to someone else in the co-op as the as your membership requirement basically just a little work exchange to show that that you're invested in supporting other people who are doing this work and seriously, folks, go check out the catalog because it's freaking huge. So hearing that that is just a fraction of the work is quite astonishing. With the with the catalog of what's being shared, it's is that sort of like leaning towards you know completed graphic novels created by members or? Yeah, there's some completed work. There's some completed graphic novels on there. There's some web comics on there that are like ongoing or have finished, but they're available online. I think our our only real requirement is other than like a subjective process is like, it's like 14 pages that we set the minimum to for like the kind of stuff that we're looking at just to make sure that there's something to show. And uh, yeah, just being in, just being a place so that if folks do want to have their comics shown as part of the co-op and be able to get traffic for them in that way, that they can they can do that. So you know, for f- Comicsology being a platform where you know it got bought by Amazon, but for a number of years now, people still were using it as a place to find and purchase digital copies of comics that were coming from independent publishers, smaller publishers, as well as larger publishers. Like it was a place where you could just go and buy a lot of comics from different sources digitally. And with that kind of really getting buried and becoming less accessible, like how would you suggest people who want to go and use cooperatives catalog to just discover some new comics? Like what's a good way for them to find stuff that might be of interest to them? Yeah, that's a super good question. I would say, you know, Folks who want to go ahead and like, you know, they can head on to the co-op website. There's a little, you know, there's that little tab that says comics and there's a whole bunch of different tags. So if someone's looking for like horror comics, you can filter by horror and click and just, you know, 
see what comes through or, you know, look for auto bio or queer comics or what what have you, right? Mm. And it's been really exciting to see, you know, as as we get more folks, folks will start to say like recommend different tags that we should add in as the catalog continues growing and really a chance to get different kinds of comics out there, especially and I think this is true of online comics in general, right? But like, you know, one of the big things that we've been really excited about is the amount of marginalized creators that we've been able to showcase in that way that otherwise, as we've been talking about, you know, might be having a harder time getting their work out there through other avenues. It really seems to me sometimes that the indie publishers expect people who aren't cis white men to do all the heavy lifting of promoting their work themselves and like Mm -hmm. be all over social media and do all of that promotion themselves. And like, they only seem to be putting in effort to promote work by people who are already really famous. And that tends to be cis white men. Mm -hmm. So I very much understand, you know, marginalized creators saying like, yeah, like I, I didn't get into making comics because I wanted to be a PR agency. So like, let's, <laughs> let's team up and just having a discovery platform like this, where you can just point people who might not be able to go to a store in person, for example, I just say, you can find amazing indie comics that have like, you know, there's been an extent of quality control done to this. And now there's like search fields and tags, like find something that'd be interesting to you and then buy it. And then you don't have to put in a, you know, an order to a, or anything like that, like, it's a pretty freaking useful tool for readers as well, you know? It's really cool, and it's been exciting to see folks, you know, every time we see someone who's like, I, you know, I saw someone buy a comic from the co-op, from, like, the listing, and it's just, it's extremely exciting. You've been a comics retailer before, so you you definitely, you know, have dealt with hand-selling comics, as as we call it, you know, like, getting the comics that somebody wants into their hands, but yeah, and I, so yeah, I'd love to hear from you about how you got interested in comics as a medium and as a, and, and having worked in comics retail and your story in those ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So my, you know, my story in, in comics, right. I, I grew up reading a lot of, a lot of big two. I grew up reading a lot of, a lot of Cape comics as, as a lot of other folks do. And it, was interesting. It, it didn't. It definitely didn't grab me as much as I as I necessarily wanted it to. I think I was like, you know, I was reading some some Batman stories and like some like occasional volumes here and there of stuff that was a little more weird, weirder, right? I'd say like the only really thing that I stuck with was like I was like reading Hellblazer volumes. I think for for a while was like the one that like really stuck out to me. Cause I was like this kid that was like super into, you know, metal and punk punk music and stuff. And so, you know, like that definitely gravitated to that. And then like Sandman and all sorts of other kinds of comics in that vein. And I forget, I think I forget exactly how I kind of, took that shift i think just because i was going to a bunch of conventions i was you know a queer person living in new york city 
that eventually drew me more towards like indie comics and then going to my first flame con however many years ago in new york city was was really exciting i ended up doing working as a programming coordinator there in for flame con in 2018 mm-hmm. um which was really cool that was a great experience to just be able to start putting some of the work together there and like, you know, help with like panels and workshops and uh, do some of that, which was really exciting. And around that same time was also when I was starting at Blue Stockings, which was a, you know, for folks who don't know, in New York City, Blue Stockings is this really incredible queer trans now worker owned sex worker owned radical bookstore cafe event space in new york city truly you know not many places like it that you that, mm-hmm. that i can say it, it's truly an incredible space going into its 23rd 24th year now excuse me been around wow. since 99 and gone through all sorts of different collective ownership over a few different iterations of collective collectives of people who have, you know, stepped in and out to run the space when when they have the capacity to do so. And I was part of Blee Stockings. I started in 2017 doing doing work there. I really 2019 is when I would say I started to get really actively involved. I was doing events there. I was really putting myself out publicly. That's the year that we we started our own little I, I did a Blue Stockings Queer and Trans Comic Fest that ran there yeah. for a few years, which was really exciting. Being able to like pull that same experience that I had from like, oh, I helped put together a convention before. I can do this, you know, in a, in a different space. And somehow putting together a convention in ostensibly like, I think the 2019 one, we maybe put together in like four months from like start to like when it actually ran, which was yeah, absolutely wow. wild. <laughs> and I don't recommend it. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend anyone try to do that work, especially if you're doing it f- with a bunch of folks who are already, you know, limited in time and how much they can actually support each other, especially in that space where we were primarily at the time volunteering our time. You know, we weren't getting paid for any of the work that we were doing. It was only after we did a whole move and moved the store to a different location entirely that we started like becoming a worker-owned space. And that was when we started paying ourselves and when, you know, it became like a job in, in real terms. So you kind of became one of the folks kind of running the comic section of Blue Stockings, right? Yeah, yeah, that was, I really brought, I certainly wasn't the first person who was like super invested in in comics at the space, for sure. One of our collective members who was on with me at the time, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but a dear friend, Janelle, who was on 
part of the collective with me when I first came on. She was, you know, an illustrator in her own right and had this deep love of, of comics and, you know, really encouraged me as I was like starting to get involved to really like, you know, I think, and this is what I love about these, that kind of like organizing mentality, right. Of really when you're in this kind of freeform space where I was like, I really have a lot of ideas for how we can bring more cartoonists into the space and really like work with people who have their comics in the store to like, you know, get more attention to them. And, you know, her response to me was basically like, well, why don't you just do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that, that was essentially how, how that went. And I've gotten to make a really lot of amazing connections while I was there at the space and I've gotten to put on a lot of really amazing events. I've been able to directly support a lot of the work that people are doing through whether it's like, you know, directly selling people's comics in the space or like putting on different kinds of events, organizing in that sense. And uh, yeah, when I left at the end of last year, I really it really put me in a good place to be able to do some awesome work here with the cartoonist co-op because I felt like I had a lot of those organizing skills in my pocket to contribute to something providing direct support to cartoonists, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also interesting to me because like you kind of went from being like, I'm really into Hellraiser and then FlameCon. And then it's like, I am seriously doing comics (laughs) <laughs> like, what made you fall in love with, you know, comics medium? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I think so- you start to see some of this in those older, like, pulpies, maybe not the right word, because it's like, you know, there's some interesting stuff that happens in those older comics. But I feel like I'm, I'm thinking back to that era of Jamie Delano Hellblazer mm-hmm. and Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and stuff where you start to see a lot of like really fun kind of messing with the the panels and sort of the structure of what's going on with the actual borders and how everything flows together, which I remember when I first saw that like that was a thing you could do yeah. in comics. I was just like, oh, this is very so cool and the more i kept kind of going down that rabbit hole i was like just really looking for a lot of things that were like oh these are these are stories that you can only tell in this medium right there there are things that you can really only do in comics and i think i think it definitely the fact that i was kind of coming into queerness around the time that I was like falling in love with indie comics I think certainly Mm. like coincided like like that certainly helped right and there's a lot of that work that doesn't exist elsewhere you know that the lot that same kind of you know for lack of a better phrase good gay shit you know (laughs) that (laughs) isn't being isn't being done elsewhere you know, I remember the first time I picked up like the, I, I'd read like bits and pieces of it, but like the first print copy I had of Nate Stevenson's Nimona and being able to see that and see like 
a queer relationship in text and being able to see that and see that not only was this a possibility to do, but you could do it in a way that felt good at the same time. And, you know, I, I, that really resonated for me. And I think I just kept, I just kept going and, and kept reading more, you know, it's certainly, it, I was going to say didn't help, but I guess, but I guess it did in the sense of, you know, when you work in retail, it's really easy to pick up a lot of different things and just (laughs) skip through them, you know? So I got to read a lot of really amazing material and uh, yeah, I, I could go on, but, but I think I definitely, I definitely think that the fact that I, you know, when, when I came out as queer, when I came out as trans, like coincided with me wanting more from comics, definitely like, you know, pushed me in that direction. Mm. With that in mind, like, are there particular comics from the cooperative collection that you think folks maybe going through a similar moment in their lives might really appreciate from? I, it's funny. I actually picked up a gender queer. I got from Blue Stockings. Oh, and I was very lovely. specific about wanting to buy it from Blue Stockings because obviously I could buy it from a lot of different places. Like, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm yeah. Go to Blue Stockings and buy this there. But, it's um, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's. I, I still I love the space a lot. It's it's truly it truly incredible. There there's nothing else like it. It really was for me just a matter of like finding other things. You know. It's not surprisingly keeping a space like that running is, is a lot of work. And so, you know, I'm very grateful to all the other worker owners who are still keeping that space running. Um, Mm. But yeah, in terms of other comics that folks might want to check out from the, the co-op catalog, right. I really love there's, it's a, it's a little bit older, but there's one specifically talking about queer comics. We have one from Mar Julia on there that I really love. Yellow, yellow, yellow. That's on there. It's spelled mm-hmm. like Y-L-L-W, Y-L-W, et cetera. Really good. Just like, you know, good queer friendship that also, you know, turns into something else. And uh, that one's also from folks at Discat Press, which I, which I love. And uh, there's also uh, I have to sh- I have to shout out the it's from one of our other folks on the committee. I'm I'm biased, but you know there's a there's a comic split check that's from Nero the, Nero O'Reilly on there. That's just Nero does such good if you like you know erotic comics it's a web comic that has you know is talking about like these two folks at a restaurant and it's like a really messy co-worker romance relationship Ooh. and it's you know it's definitely not healthy but it's really it's really intense and it's and it's i'm a big fan of that those kind are of, good stories too you know like there's been such a push to sanitize everything a hundred percent. It really is a whole thing about, yeah, like, I mean, it is, it is pride month, right? You know, <laughs> talking about like the need for like queerness that isn't this sort of like corporate, you know, like you said, sanitized version of queerness. It's okay to be messy. 
and make art about that. Yeah. Um, Encouraged, I would say. Yes. I mean, that's true. I think a lot of those are the works that speak most to people because that's how people are. Mm -hmm. And even if they're not, it's still just much more interesting. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to jumping into the catalog to check those out as well. What was the process for sort of growing this community where you have like 400 people already? Yeah, yeah. A ton of people. <laughs> it's re- it's really cool. It definitely helped that, you know, there was this like existing Discord server that is now like the co-op Discord server of folks that were like, you know, some folks that were already jazzed about this idea and wanted to sign up. And I think between all of the folks on the committee, right, all of the folks that we have who are kind of pushing things along, it's been a big thing for us to really, like, just, like, get that word of mouth out there, like, get as many people as possible to... Uh, to get that messaging out there about the co-op and about why this is important, you know? I think, because that's going to resonate more than anything else, you know? I I think Mm. there is a, rightfully so, right, reluctance to when people see a new initiative in comics that maybe isn't familiar, maybe isn't like a... uh, traditional model like people are maybe a little skeptical of the idea of something that just on the surface sounds good you know they're like Mm -hmm. so used to getting burned by big corporations and worrying worrying about like what's being asked of them and really you know it's at the end of the day here you know I, I think it's important to stress that it's like this is being done by people who are making comics for people who are making comics, you know, to get as many people involved as possible. Because numbers at the end of the day, you know, like sheer people's presence just showing up is is what's going to make the biggest difference in in fighting for better standards for comics, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, and, and, and it sounds like, you know, this discord being so pivotal to folks coming together here is a good reminder to organizers listening to this, that yeah, online organizing is organizing and you can build Mm -hmm. meaningful connections with people online. Um, I feel like there's been such blowback against doing that because some people did it badly or in a shallow way and that, Mm -hmm people kind of take for granted that it actually is a real way to organize. And, you know, in the comic space, people are so decentralized. It's not like you can just, I mean, yes, there's big conventions and stuff like that, but you're going to have to do some of this remotely and it still worked, you know? And, and if anything, I think the part of the problem, right, is that so much of the work that happens around like sharing resources and stuff is happening mostly at conventions, right? Where, you know, if you're someone that maybe is in a part of the world that doesn't have a huge comic scene, but still want to make comics, then, you know, there's not really nearly as many options available to you. 
And I think that's where online organizing really gets to be a lot more important because it, it gives you a chance to connect with people that are sharing that same work with you and, and makes it feel less, less intimidating, certainly, but also feels like you're in a, in a greater community of folks too. I think there's a big, there's a big push to, and and we certainly do need more in-person events in terms of getting people together and like getting people in comics together. But I would love to see a bigger push for those kinds of events outside of convention spaces because there's only so much you can do in that in that sphere Mm. yeah yeah and especially like with covid being an ongoing global pandemic that oh yeah a lot of people's accessibility to go to in-person spaces without Mm -hmm. endangering their lives and most cartoonists don't have disability to be able to take sick days and sick leave and disability insurance. And yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms, right. In terms of like, (laughs) well, you know, we're these, so many of the conventions that are out there are not being safe and accessible in terms of what they're actually providing for cartoonists. And uh, it, it gets to be a problem, right. And yeah, I, I think you're you're touching on a, a an issue that is, I think, forefront in our minds too, in terms of like when we talk about better working conditions, right? Mm. In terms of the ways in which people who have worked as worked in comics for a long time also seemingly to develop a lot of complicated medical issues that they're not able to cover through other yeah. costs and be interesting to see why that is. I know repetitive motion pain is r- a real crisis and yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I know so many artists who were dealing with wrist issues from like their twenties, you know, like not even, not even old and broken down bodies like mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's, it's chronic, chronic pain from, from mm-hmm. overworking, you know, because working schedules for putting out, putting out their work, it uh, gets to be really challenging. And, I, and one of the reasons you see so many wonderful artists who end up just focusing on writing is because they can't physically produce art at the right necessary to survive anymore. And so like, maybe they can do a cover here or there, you know, but so many amazing artists, I feel like are getting out of the art and only into writing. And I, art is so much worse. Writing is paid terribly. Art is paid even worse. But I think, I also do think repetitive motion pain is a big piece of why artists are making those decisions. And it's really sad. We're being deprived of amazing art and people are being brutalized by their jobs. A hundred percent. We're we're dealing with an issue where you know people are if like like you said if they are staying in in comics they're they're sticking to writing because that's less strenuous. But you also see a lot of people who you know might leave comics altogether, right? Where yeah. they you know the practice isn't sustainable. You know, comics there there isn't money in comics unless you're making like you know huge 
graphic novels that sell obscenely well, right? And so, you know, they might go to, like, animation or maybe maybe do a pivot to, like, games or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. If they stay in, like, a creative field, you know, because that kind of, you know, the burnout from that kind of work is, it's a lot. It's really exhausting just to, like, spend years of your of your life just working on a single book a single graphic novel you know like almost exclusively and for you know what a third of a a third of an advance maybe a fourth Mm -hmm. in some cases you know which is absolutely disgusting that now like you know book advances which are already extremely small to begin with are now just being cut about cut up into smaller and smaller chunks so people can't afford to live off them yeah we don't want to just have art by rich people it's not interesting (laughs) it's never interesting but you can't just be art by rich people that's not not no no it doesn't it doesn't produce good art hold on a second what are some of the issues that folks in the cooperative are organizing around that might not be obvious ones to, I would just describe our listeners as being a relatively informed comics audience. What are some things that you've uncovered that you did not necessarily expect? Yeah. Yeah. I think folks are, it's been really exciting to see folks have been organizing around different kinds of like, like skill sharing, which has been really cool um, around just like, getting like getting different knowledge out there in terms of like how do you even get your comics out to a good enough audience now in terms of like a platform because and i think this has been so frustrating with like the collapse of twitter in a lot of ways that like artists are very much you know struggling to to reach a larger audience of people in terms of getting getting paid for their work and get making sure that they're being able to get get their stuff out there in terms of like the like you know the political organizing that that kind of work that was happening there i know there were folks that were really jazzed about well jazzed isn't the right word but there were folks who were really invested in what was going on the eisners recently with everything that happened with the whole controversy there right for folks who are listening and unfamiliar with it, one of the nominations was just jaw-droppingly racist in a way that you're kind of amazed would be in contention. And then it turns out that this guy was an incredibly abusive professor at School of Visual Arts and kind of did his best to ruin the education and lives of all of his students. And the added level of controversy to this also was that nobody'd heard of this book. So why is a book that has had zero buzz has sold like no copies? Not that sales means something is good, but it meant like right. nobody had read it. Like people had nobody, nobody had seen this book was getting nominated for the biggest award in the comics industry. And then when you finally saw it, you were like, good God, this is insanely racist. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and that this particular artist and writer had been really vocally opposed to comics as a medium when speaking to his students as a professor. It was just bizarre. So that's the controversy. Yeah. He has since pulled his graphic novel from consideration, but did so in such a way that it makes me feel like he's trying to belittle whoever it is that ends up winning now. Like it mm. felt like it was such a like, 
well, I guess you just don't want me in contention. So whoever wins now is going to just be an also ran to, you know, it's because I would have won for sure. It just felt like a really weird, petty way to withdraw himself and has done no self-reflection on the obvious. Just, I mean, I'm sorry, people, mind blowing racism of the comic that he'd put out anyway. Absolutely awful. Yeah. Publish what you want guys, but like, I'm not going to celebrate awarding it. And we're going to also be surprised and confused when it gets this industry award and nobody's even fucking heard of it. So Mm -hmm. it's, you're exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, for that matter, right. To, to see that really the, you know, this, this professor pulling the nomination, but for also the Eisners to not really take any responsibility for having it on the ballot in the first place. Right. You know, to, to just, and then all the judges were white. All the Eisner judges were white. Yep. And extremely white. What the fuck? (laughs) Truly, truly a ridiculous confluence of of events where you have such a such a messy situation and, and the Eisners have really only taken consideration in so much as well. You know, this this professor has requested the nomination withdrawn, so we're not gonna count the the votes although if you do go to, if for people who as as folks have pointed out and i've seen you know if you go to vote for the eisners right now you can still see that comic on the ballot it's oh still gosh. it's still listed there so you know sure those votes aren't going to be counted but you know if They're it really towards something in contention yeah you know it's, it would not have been that much work to just take it off you know, it, it would have been a few minutes of some web designer's time, you know, and for them to not even do that is just, it's baffling. It really is. Yeah, uh, but, but we had folks in the co-op who were, you know, rightfully upset about that and were, you know, taking action together to to do that work. I, I was very glad to be able to myself offer some support in some different some different efforts in in that in that vein there was an open letter that went out to get the petition the petition to get the nomination withdrawn before that before that happened so uh, yeah folks have been you know understandably really motivated to to organize to get together when things have been especially frustrating right and you know, we we've had there. There's other things. I mean, we have our whole our marketing campaigns and all the other like work that we're organizing around. But in terms of political organizing, that's also been really cool to see. Are there in terms of the members? So it's you know car- comics artists and writers, cartoonists who are doing it all themselves. Do you also have like letterers and editors and like other kinds of categories of comics creator staffs joining as members? Yeah, yeah, we've had a bunch of different folks come in. We've got writers, we've got artists, we've got, you know, letters, inkers. We've had lots of different folks. We've had, uh, on top of cartoonists, we've also had, you know, writers, we've had artists, we've had letters, inkers, you know, flatters, colorists. Um, mm. Really, I think the the big push has been to primarily welcome members as folks who are somewhere in the process of making comics, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
because because there's certainly other groups out there for folks who are like in in production who are like you know maybe like editors at publishing companies or something mm-hmm. like that or some of uh, them are organizing with unions right now who are working ex- directly for companies <laughs> exactly right but but i think the big push has been for folks at least who want to be members of the co-op to primarily create a space for folks who are working on comics to create more a like intentional space around that and make folks feel secure in the fact that this is a space specifically for other people who are you know even if it's even if you just made made a zine or are in the process of making your first comic you know that that those are the people that you're sharing space with love it yeah you mentioned in your bio um, that you're a fan of gay robots talk to me (laughs) about the significance of gay robots to you and the robotness of gayness and what makes a robot particularly queer (laughs) yeah 100 percent well, th- this is a really interesting topic in terms of like how we talk about sexuality as a whole, right? And like what it means when we sort of get into it's it's a great question that I love thinking about when we get into mm-hmm. like when you get into fiction and you start talking about sexuality as it pertains to beings who are essentially not humans but still have sexuality you know in the way that that we might and especially if they're modeled after or or modeled in a way by humans right then they'll often have a similar kind of sexuality and so it's really interesting to think about that there's i i love something i always come back to when i think about that kind of like expression of self and sort of like expression of like sexuality and stuff i there's that one have you seen star trek the next generation yes i uh, primarily a ds9 I, I literally run a ds9 podcast so i'm primarily that's right. a DS9 person but i have watched i don't know maybe 20 episodes of tng something like that <laughs> i'm i love ds9 as well it's really great but there's i think it's an early episode of tng it's it's an it's it's an episode where the short-lived like security chief chief tashiar is like going around and talking to the android data and she's trying to flirt with him and you know data being an android you know it's an interesting question but i think the way your response is like i am i am fully functional mm-hmm. uh and that so, for some reason always stuck to me of like oh like he's got a he's got something going on down there and you know it, it, as it relates to queerness right i i think that in general queerness and transness there's something that very much resonates in terms of like having a body that is your own but also is a little more flexible like customizable in in different ways right of like you know different kinds of parts that you can like attach and detach depending on what you what you're looking for in that moment i think that is inherently super queer and that kind of desire for bodies that can be fluid and can be all sorts of different things and still 
desirable as they are in gay robots is is something I'm especially attracted to. Awesome. Yeah. No, the essential queerness of robot love also is just a big, a big theme. What are some of your favorite gay robot stories? Especially bonus if it's comics, but you know, <laughs> it's you know I'm thinking there's this is a this is a bit of a cop out maybe, but there's a I really loved the IDW Transformers run that Max Visaggio did, uh- where they introduce trans Transformers and talk about like oh well literally robots that can change whatever they want why wouldn't they change gender if they like if that concept is just arbitrary like why not and it totally makes sense i'm trying to think other things even like a true i think there was even like a trans and i'm i'm always joking with graphic policy website founder and commander in chief as it were brat about his love of fighting robots but i believe in some of the original fighting robots one of the fighting robots was supposedly like forcibly became female and that i think like one <laughs> of the things that the comics did was they were have was to have her just be like no no this is good i like this this is great and like to just lean into that and um so it's like even like an og robot transform yeah it's like already trans and like oh that's so cool i didn't know about that i love that yeah i mean I would be remiss if I didn't also mention like Iron Circus has a whole like smut peddler graphic not or graphic novel collection, excuse mm-hmm. me, sex machine that is entirely like, you know, erotic comics about about robots and the majority of them are certainly queer and uh, all of those stories are are especially wonderful. Do you like Oh, oh Human Star? Yeah, I I haven't kept up with it admittedly as much as I would like to, but yeah, I, I love Blue stuff is really great. Blue is amazing, yeah. I have had Blue on the podcast a number of years ago. Another queer cartoonist that does great com- comics. Olivia Fields also has a lot of they're they're really great. A lot of a lot of comics about about robots. A lot of comics about Daft Punk, which <laughs> is, you know, gets in gets into that. They're in an anthology that I recently read that I loved called Cyberludes, which is another comic, another horny robot series that is that is truly incredible. That that one's much more recent. I think only came out a few months ago, but uh, cool. very very cool. Oh, and Olivia's work looks so cool. Thank you. Truly for gorgeous. It. Yeah. Yeah. So for our listeners who might not be cartoonists themselves, what are some ways that folks can support the cartoonist co-op? That's very cool. Well, so if you can't do anything else, if if you just want to, you know, support support the co-op and you don't feel like you have time, we do have a, a Ko-fi page that is taking donations to just like help us cover our expenses, like web hosting and, you know, helping out all the different things that we keep our database running in and everything. So that's certainly appreciated. If you head to if you head to our website, Cartoons Co-op, you'll you'll see it on there. For folks that want to help the work effort that's happening with the co-op, folks who can join who aren't cartoonists but who are volunteers who want to support the effort that's happening there. Also on the co-op website, if you go to where it says like submit, there's a application specifically for 
folks who want to support the cooperative. You know, there's, as we were talking about, all sorts of work that goes into making sure that people's comics get more visibility and that they can get done and sent out there. So, you know, even if you're someone who wants to just help send an email to get someone's comic a little bit farther out, you know, Mm. the support is certainly appreciated. Oh, yeah. I should ask, like, what does collective comics PR, like, look like? Yeah, it's very similar to PR and marketing as it would otherwise be done, right? It's really just dividing the work into a bunch of different people, right? It's setting up marketing plans for different comics as we as we have different campaigns, right? So we'll have stuff that gets picked up that we start promoting in different campaigns. We'll have we're doing work for a few a few different comics and it'll be a thing where okay, the creator who's working on this wants to get it in the eyes of retailers and get some press coverage and get to, you know, just get some social media boosts. And from there, it starts to, you know, be, okay, well, we have all these different goals. How can we split up these tasks among different people? And we actually have, I I haven't, didn't get to talk about this yet. We, on top of the Discord for organizing people, we also have a, a collective forum that we're using in internally with the cooperative as well because stuff like discord can be super overwhelming too and it's not super great for like archiving and like keeping resources readily available mm. internally right we have a forum that we use for sort of helping to more easily organize our campaigns and to keep conversations readily available for as we have comics that we're starting to help promote and create strategies for and that's a back and forth between the committee other members the the person whose comic is being worked on right on on what what kinds of strategies would work what what might be doable you know what what folks would like and uh, yeah it's been really cool to see oh that's great so as a comics podcaster myself, for example, am I going to be getting press releases about bunches of stuff or like, <laughs> We'd what be should I be expecting? Absolutely. Yeah, def- definitely getting, getting the word out there. If there's stuff that you want to, you know, if there's stuff that folks want to cover for a podcast, for, you know, interviews, for, you know, for reviews, right? That's exactly the kind of work that we're doing. Awesome. Well, looking forward to seeing stuff and, you know, like just having another place to look for new indie works is just really exciting for me. Yeah. Is is there anything I haven't asked you yet that you wish I'd asked you? You've been super thorough. This has been great. I feel like, yeah, I I feel like we got to, we got to a lot here. And, you know, of course, of course, if there's any folks who work on comics who are listening, who feel like they might want to get involved in something like this, you know, doesn't cost you anything. You can head over to the website and become part of the co-op today. And to anyone listening to this, who's sort of like, yeah, but what about like more of a traditional union and this and that I would say to them that all organizing is power building and that having a project like this become greatly successful will be so helpful to anybody who's looking to do 
more traditional union organizing as well, because it'll demonstrate that organizing in comic spaces is possible and it is building connections and trust and power. So no matter what kind of organizing you would like to see happening in the comics world, the comics cooperative is a project that you should be really excited about and supportive of. So do that. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just so excited when this happened. I'm, I really am. This is fabulous. You know, I was about to thank you for this off the air, and I realized it would be better to thank you on air. But I want to thank you for when you've been at doing work at Blue Stockings. You've always been so on top of making sure the space was accessible to people during COVID by actually requiring masks and taking into consideration public safety in a way that places like medical offices are not even taking into consideration these days. So I want to thank you for really working to create an accessible space to people that is protecting the community. Thank you. That that really means a lot. That that's really means a lot to hear. Yeah, it's been maddening in 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 a lot of ways to see the ways that people have really wanted to forget that COVID exists, that it still exists, and that it is hurting a lot of people. Right, and mm-hmm. so I think I feel really proud of the fact that that Blue Stockings has been one of the few places where you are still being asked to wear a mask in there. We have, you know, the place has track, has good ventilation, you know, on top of that to make sure that there's good air quality for the space as well. And yeah, that is, that kind of thing is few and far between. And uh, And you guys are doing like test kit distro and everything. I mean, like you can see the lineage between the need to have these sort of responses to this and also dealing with things like HIV, like so many spaces that have, have a history of doing things like free condom distro and things like that. They haven't, they haven't done the same with COVID and it would be cool to recognize the similarities in these situations. So you guys are on that. It was great. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was actually reading a really wonderful memoir talking about HIV AIDS, right? The a really great AIDS ACT UP memoir that came out a few months ago by Ron Goldberg, a former ACT UP member, talking about the history of that organization, the, you know, the, the work that was done as someone who is like one of the actions chairs there and, uh, you know, how much really went into making sure all of the work ACT UP did to make AIDS policy change. And to see the corollaries between that and covert organizing and to see people not internalize that has been really challenging. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. That sounds like a really good and powerful read. So... Actually, I've also discovered online there's a comic book store in Western Mass, but I don't know the city. I should go follow up with them. That is still doing mask mask distribution and requiring masks. And I think that's so freaking cool. If you guys are going to a comic store that still recognizes the ongoing COVID pandemic, I'd love to give them a shout out on my podcast. So drop me a line, folks, if that is a thing that you've seen and are aware of. So where can our listeners keep up with you and with the co-op? So... Uh, cartoonist co-op we're at cartoonist.coop is our is our website if you want to check out what we've what we've got going on there all the good comics and if you want to sign up to become a member we're also at cartoonist co-op pretty much everywhere on the internet instagram twitter 
Mastodon, Tumblr, what have you. And myself, I am I'm at Whoa It's Joan. That's W-H-O-A-I-T-S-J-O-A-N on Instagram. That's pretty much where where I've been mostly. Twitter has become a little bit too much. So if you want if you want to find me, you can find me on there. Awesome. And of course, Graphic Policy Radio, we are on all the comics platforms. Please review us and share with your friends. That is how people find out about the show. As for me, I'm on Twitter a little bit too much, but like in that event, that actually still means not that much as much as I was um, (laughs) because stuff is going to hell. But you can still find me there for now at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. However, very importantly, you can actually find me on Blue Sky now. And my Blue Sky Uh handle is literally just my last name, L-E-V-I-N. I got there nice and early, and I broke my law of, like, having the same handle everywhere for the purposes of uniformity, but I just, because I just couldn't not do it. So I would really love to see a very active comics community on Blue Sky. Let's see if we can make it work. Let's see if this is a platform that is useful for us. Who can say? So if you're a comics fan and you're on Blue Sky, come follow me, L-E-V-I-N. I'm on the main blue sky server or whatever and as we like to say keep it geeky